Welcome to the Coach Fury Podcast. This is where fitness and geekdom collide. It's time to live long, be strong, and die mighty. I am really excited to announce that this is a Films of Fury Pod Squad edition. We're going to talk about Avengers Infinity War. So let's get real here for a moment. If you haven't seen this movie and you do not want to hear spoilers, stop playing or listening to this now because we are going to destroy the movie as we go into it for you. Uh, it's an awesome film. It's worth seeing in a theater. If you're one of those people on the fence, eh, I don't really care, go. Go see it in a theater. Support your local theater. I also want to give a shout out. The theater of all theaters that has changed my life since it's finally come to New York is the Alamo Draft House. Uh, not just reserved seating, not just because there's food, but that harsh enforcement of no phones, no even looking at your phone, no talking or you get booted. It's just made my life so much more pleasurable as a movie geek going to the theater. So uh, shout out to the Brooklyn Alamo Draft House. Uh, also, you know, like I said on the last episode or a couple episodes ago when I went and saw Rampage at the local uh, sort of mom and pop theater, go visit your mom and pop theater too, even if it's run down and not fancy. Show them some love too because that's probably where you got your start. Anyway... Um, we were joined by Glenn, Jen, Lisa, and Emily for this edition of the Pod Squad. Enjoy Avengers Infinity War. Again, if you don't want spoilers, pause this, stop this, delete this from your phone or listening device now. For those of you that have seen it, enjoy. Boys once and then i did since i'm as the host of this podcast i was very professional and i watched it again today <laughs> because i worked all weekend and i was just had a slow day and i'm like i got the podcast episode out with brian like it basically like an hour after glenn gave me the artwork i'm like right. you know what i'm gonna go see it again today so listeners welcome to the sex the second i almost said like the sex in the city episode the second episode where we discuss the popcorn trick in a theater, the Films of Fury popcorn <laughs> trick episode. This is the Films of Fury Avengers Infinity War episode, and we are joined by Jen, Emily, and Glenn. Introduce yourselves quickly. We're going to go in the line that I see your squares on the Zoom conference. Jen, kick it off. Introduce yourself to the listeners. Hi, I'm Jen, and uh, I feel personally victimized by Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> okay. We're going to get to that. Don't let me forget that. But let's do a name game. What was your favorite oh. character in Infinity War? Um, so my favorite character in Infinity War had to have been Loki. Nice. Emily. Hi, I'm Emily. Uh, and I think my favorite character in Infinity War... Hmm, that's a really tough question. You know, it was probably the Hulk. And I always loved the Hulk anyway, but he was so charming in this movie. <laughs> Glenn. Uh, yeah, I'm Glenn, and uh, my, uh, my my favorite uh, is always, it will always be Spider-Man. Uh, he was great in this, and, um, uh, but I, I actually was really surprised and, and liked Doctor Strange in it. Uh, it was a far cry from, from what his own movie was, so uh, I really enjoy that. I completely agree. So my name is Fury, and I'm going to go with Thanos. I was surprised how much heart they gave that guy. And I'm going to throw this out. Listeners, if you have not seen this movie, you should not continue listening to this podcast unless you have no intention <laughs> to see the movie. This will be 1,000% spoilerific um, just for nerds. 
letting it all hang out on this movie. Um, so let's, let's, let's go to the beginning. I'm actually going to agree with all of you on these. The characters were awesome on this. And one of the things that I think we all noticed, you almost got the first true sense of it in Avengers Age of Ultron when they're at that party before Ultron crashes it, that the patience they took to you know link in all of these stories you really bought without a lot of dialogue their friendships and stuff and civil war was certainly like a big part of that where like uh hawkeye and black widow could say very little to each other and you had you you knew the weight of their lifelong friendship and i think that carried into a lot of the scenes in this movie but in this one you had a lot of people that had never met before and one of the things cool going back and seeing it was just you step away from the story for a moment. And as a guy at a comic book shop that used to work at a comic book shop, you're like, holy shit, you have Thanos on a plant on a different planet. Like, so we're in outer space. You have Thanos with infinity gems, rocket raccoon. No, wait, I'm fucking that up. Rocket wasn't there. Steven strange, Dr. Steven strange, Iron Man, star Lord Drax. Right. Um, and, um, who is Spider-Man, right? Spider-Man, and Tony Stark, like all together. And that's just and Mantis and Mantis. That's just one part of this story. Like where the hell does that happen? So let's start this with, from the beginning, uh, the Hulk thing, right? That was really unexpected. The Hulk arc, Emily's favorite character. So why do we think Hulk isn't showing up? Somebody, somebody hop on that. Well, I'm, I'm not sure why he's not showing up for me in order to prepare for this. I was, watching some Marvel movies for the first time because I was really far behind on them. And so I had just seen Thor Ragnarok yesterday before watching this. And I felt like they linked together so beautifully that it was Mm -hmm. like I had just watched one really long movie. And I just loved all of the character development they did with Hulk in Thor Ragnarok so that when we got to deal with him again and that Bruce Banner was basically all we were dealing with in Infinity War, I just was reminded how charming he was and also just... I understand that, you know, Hulk's very upset and he's been through a lot. And, you know, he he found like this perfect place in Thor Ragnarok where he could be himself and, and keep Bruce Banner away. And then, I don't know, maybe he feels guilty and that's why he's not coming back out. So he's leaving uh, Bruce Banner alone so that he can, you know, cope without him. I'll, I'll say one of the, that moment with when Nat sees Banner for the first time is like another example of like a lot of the weight that the other movies brought to the table with very little dialogue that you knew that they were like into each other, hadn't seen each other for years, but like now's not the time to do the popcorn trick. (laughs) Anybody else have a theory on the Hulk thing? Yeah, actually I I read the, the infinity gauntlet after we saw the movie and, and you know, it, one, it was interesting to see the, the things that they had to cut out because of whatever contractual obligations they had. So uh, with uh, the Hulk landing in a strange uh, house, it, and in the book, it's Silver Surfer. Uh, yeah. So Surfer takes a lot of these, you know, these, these sort of roles. But um, the Hulk thing, in the book, there's a scene where they're gathering all the heroes and uh, Logan and, and Hulk are on top of Avengers mansion and they're sitting there and they're having this conversation and it takes a long time for for hulk to to join with the rest of the group and and in ragnarok uh, when thor and hulk are talking in his lounge uh he's saying you guys don't like me you like banner you just use me so there's this whole you know prior to prior to 
that first scene with Thanos and Hulk, Hulk's just, he can do whatever, he rage and, and, and have fun and, and let loose. But it's the first time that he's vulnerable and, and at the same time, he's getting smarter. So he realizes like, I don't want to die for you guys who just use me as a attack dog. So that's what I think. I mean, I could, who knows what, what the reason is, but that after reading the book, it, it sort of like brought those two things together. Um, nice, so Jen. What do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with everything that was said, but I think going back to Ragnarok, at the very end of that film, it says that basically if he hulks out essentially again, that he would, it would be one or the other. And so ideally it seems like Banner knowing that at the end of Ragnarok makes that choice, but takes total control. And so Hulk knowing that Banner now has that control, it kind of felt like he was like, no, I'm not coming back. Like you chose, you didn't choose me. You used me very much to what Glenn was saying. Yeah. I'm going to stay here. And so I felt like that's where that was going and how those two movies tied together. So my thing is, I think it's pure fear. That moment when Thanos punches him in the shoulder and you hear like this, like Ruffalo does this great little like, like whimper almost like a dog got hit. And I think it's the first time that Hulk's ever actually like been hurt and was like, holy crap, like I'm not going to win. I think it's pure fear that if he shows up, he's going to get killed. So it's a little bit of what Glenn said, but I don't even know if it's the attack dog thing for me. For me, I think it's just like, holy shit. Like I, I, he knows for the first time it's somebody that he can't smash. And it's sad. Yeah. But it's building towards clearly what's going to unleash <laughs> in, in the sequel in a year. Comes out in two yeah. years, right? 20, no. 2019? One year. One year. Yeah, one year. It's going to feel like a long year. Uh, I'm going to throw this out since Glenn's here. So listeners, Glenn does the artwork for the podcast. And I met Glenn working at a visual effects company. And there's a lot of insane visual effects in this movie. Like it is really top notch. Yeah. The one effect I'll say that bothers me a little bit, if I go for my professional head, I'm not nitpicking it too much. There's something about those shots when it's the live action Ruffalo comped into the Hulkbuster suit. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I noticed it on the first time. And, I, and on the second time, I was trying to like see, is it, is it the plate? Is there slightly different grain? Is it slightly, something's off. It's the only effect that like stands out on this one. Whereas in Black Panther, there were a few scenes where I'm like, admittedly, I really enjoyed Black Panther. And we were talking about that a little bit about, for me, in, 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 in the lineup of all of these Marvel movies, I don't put it as high as its success shows. And I know that it's for, because it's, we're finally voicing, you know, uh, more than a generation of people, like a whole side of our population finally gets to see something amazing. But there's fight scenes on that that are so CG to me that it pulls me out mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. And those moments of Ruffalo in that thing are for a moment, I'm like, God damn. Because you're seeing Thanos, right? So second screening too. Looking in Thanos' eyes, you're like, it's unbeatable in a visual effects plane. I, I'll say that uh, Thanos was, the, 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 the effects stuff was so good that for, for me, it was a little distracting <laughs> that it was as good as it was the, the, the just the subsurface uh scattering of light and and the the particles and the sweat it's like they, like i'm watching it and I'm, I'm fully invested but at the same time there's a part of my brain that's like that's that looks really good and uh, it was a little distracting for for me but i, I get the the, uh, the scene towards the end where you know everybody sort of like dissipates and it's just a quiet moment and you see little Ruffalo's head in the hulkbuster armor and it's just kind of moving with them but it just kind of looks like it's bobbing there 
like a green screen thing. Yeah, it's almost like it's so <laughs> close to perfect that it's not right. You know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like almost if they didn't put a, an extra level of polish on it, it might have looked better. Anyway, yeah. that's just the visual effects nerds. <laughs> it is a weird thing when you sit back and you marvel at it and you're like, because even now, like, um, I haven't been, you know, I, I'm out shit uh by the time this podcast comes out it might be my seven year anniversary since i left full-time visual effects well left visual effects entirely i'm actually oddly back now um doing some executive producer consultant stuff um are you really yeah do you remember chase massingill from uh he would come in a little bit every now and then a click but chase has been doing a company called henchman and i'm sort of helping him out on that on like a consultant ep basis uh on the side so it's been cool I miss some of it. I miss some of it. But anyway, going back to the storylines. Um, Wait, I, I want to make one comment about special effects because I actually just didn't mind the Hulk. The one special effect that bothered me, as well as my friend who went to see the movie with me today, is uh, the of the like the evil henchmen who were like chasing the Infinity Stones. Uh, the oh, female yeah. one, I felt like her face was not synced correctly, and she looked the most like a video game character, and that her mouth did not match her voice. And it, it drove me crazy every time she appeared on screen. It happened. And only her. The other ones didn't bother me. And I didn't. I wondered if anybody else noticed it. I don't know. Did, I, I didn't, she didn't bother me. Jen? It didn't bother me, but I definitely felt like she looked like she was ripped out of a video game. And yeah. she didn't match to the, anyone else in the film. I don't, it's weird. That one, she didn't hit me at all that way. I'm not arguing it. I'm just like, I'm, I'm trying to think of the process. The only thing that stood out for me was that Hulkbuster thing. You thought that too, Glenn? Uh, yeah, all those, uh, all those characters, uh, they were so, I don't know, just alien. So I, I, just, I just accepted it for what it was, but there was just any, any like close up, you know, mid shot where I get to really scrutinize the, just the aesthetic. I'm like, okay, that, that's, that's CG. And maybe that's just my, my brain, uh, accepting it or, or knowing what it, what it is, how they got to that place, you know? Cause it's not like, it's not like Doug Jones in prosthetics in any yeah. Guillermo del Toro movie where, you know, he's a, a person in the room kind of thing. And they just augment the, the servo motions in the face to give it a little more life. You know, that, that's all, I believe it's all motion capture. I don't think they're actually on set for anything. Yeah, one of the things I noticed too, and I haven't looked this up, but uh, spoiler, Red Skull, holy shit, that melted my brain. I had no idea that that was coming up. But I, I noticed there was something I actually liked more about his appearance on, on the face of the Red Skull. And today I was thinking, he's probably all CG this time. I did find out it's not Hugo Weavey returning. It's another, mm-hmm. it, it's that dude from uh, from Walking, Walking Dead. Dead. What is it, yeah. Ross Marquette? 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah doing his best Hugo Weaving and that guy's like a genius, <laughs> but there was something about the, the CGI appearance. And I'm pretty sure it's CG uh, of the Red Skull that I thought worked really well, especially with mm-hmm. like that death, like Cape and how he was floating yeah. around. Yeah. He regrets some life choices in this movie. <laughs> 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 like being a Nazi one, get what you deserve. Right. I'm um, sorry. I, I've got a new microphone for this, everybody. Thank you, Brian, Julian, James, and Victor. I'm hoping now that my my whiskey rocks are in uh, 
That's not a pun for my balls. It's like I'm actually drinking whiskey. <laughs> you can't see me hold up my glass. My whiskey rocks. <laughs> Glenn's like, can I sign out of this podcast yet? <laughs> I forgot it was like to work with Fury. Um, what was your favorite of like, so like there's like these little mini stories, obviously, as everybody's sort of going on. And I got to admit, you know, and, and, and Brian uh, Matasio on the Godzilla podcast that came out the day we're recording this, we were talking about it. It is kind of unbelievable because the, the length of this movie, the first day I saw it, I had to drive to Boston right after to go teach. So the movie felt a little long for me, but because I had that internal pressure of like, mm-hmm. shit, I got to drop the kids off and, and drive now for four hours. Um, that was not my best planning ever, but I, there's like, I was like, there's no way I'm missing this movie opening weekend with the kids seeing it today where I was like, I'm actually kind of taking the day off because I worked all weekend. I was kind of amazed. It felt like the infinity war. It felt like several issues of a comic book gelled in, but like reading the graphic novel versus having to wait for the trades of all the sort of separate arcs. Right. So you have like uh team doctor strange, and you know iron man and spidey then you have uh thor and rocket and groot then um what was the other one you had you had uh captain america hey welcome lisa hi sorry i'm late that's all right welcome um of, of these splinter stories that were going on you know thor to make the weapon uh trying to get the glove off of thanos all that stuff what was your favorite of the of the side teams that happened on this movie someone pick it up from there I guess my favorite of the side teams, although I did enjoy when like Thanos was sort of like just dragging Gamora around the universe. I did enjoy that because there was so much emotional gravitas happening with that. But of the good guys, I think I most preferred uh, Doctor Strange uh, and uh, Tony Stark sniping at each other. That was probably my favorite. <laughs> I loved it when he called him a douchebag. Yes. Yeah, that was pretty great. <laughs> Anybody else? I was in, I was enjoying Thor and the Guardians a lot. I, I kind of when uh, when Chris Pratt went into the low voice trying to sound like Chris Hemsworth, that <laughs> fucking cracked me up. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> that was just cracking me up. That that's a great example of what they've managed to pull off now is all of these movies cleanly, really very cleanly unite together, but they're all different movies. They're all different styles. So that now when they all meet up, you can actually like, they can show all these styles. What I noticed more in this one is, you know, in that end battle, when uh, Dr. Strange is fighting Thanos, they really pull in a lot of the visual effects, like the, uh, I don't know, forget what they call it, the glass dimension effects and sort Mm -hmm. of the rolling of the backgrounds, the tumbling of the backgrounds that like the folding in. And how you have all of these different things, like when, when Doctor Strange splits into the multi, you know, dozens of versions of himself. I'm like, that is straight comic book. I mean, it's like kind yeah. of like yeah. from the comic book. But the mm-hmm. fact that we can see all of these things in a single movie that makes sense. You know, I know Ragnarok as a comedy threw a lot of people at first, but it's probably one of my top five of all of the movies right now. And most likely one of the most repeatable ones. It hasn't been out long enough for me to really commit to that yet. Um, but so when you have Chris Pratt and Chris Helmsworth going at it as Thor and Star-Lord, to think that they can actually have like a moment in a serious life or death superhero movie where they're impersonating each other and well, calling each like, other pirate angels yeah, is it, amazing. It made me think of, this is like a really random reference to make in, in regards to this, but there was a there was a crossover a long time ago on TV. 
if I don't know if anybody else was into this show, it was Boston Public, which was about like Boston schools, but it was a David Kelly show who also did Ally McBeal. And so they did a crossover of Boston Public, which was this really gritty, realistic show, and Ally McBeal, which was Ally McBeal. And what I loved about it was each show had such a specific tone. And when they crossed, it was like ridiculous, but it was also awesome because all the people at Boston Public thought all the people from Malik McBeal were like ridiculous, you know, and they played with that instead of trying to make it, instead of sort of neutralizing everything and trying to make it all match, they dealt with the fact that they were completely different. And that's what I feel like happened in the movie. Like instead of you know, trying to make the Guardians less goofy or trying to make Chris Hemsworth less serious, they like played it up instead of trying to mute it down. Yeah, we just accept that that's who they are now. I love that moment, by the way, when like uh, Gamora, like it gets out to Thor that Gamora is Thanos' daughter and he's like actually, everything, Freddie thinks he's going to rage on her, but he's actually super sympathetic. And then Peter Star was like, yeah, yeah, my dad killed my mom. My, my dad was a god, I had a kill my dad and uh have both eyes <laughs> fucking great you know my hope from this podcast will be now that somebody would go to new york comic-con which uh i don't know emily i'm i'm assuming you got your email today the dates to look out for were announced today in terms of fan verification and badges came out today um so i, I knew i was going to talk to you tonight i guess who's coming to comic-con will be the thing um but I'm hoping that somebody now goes to New York Comic Con to one of the bootleg DVD booths and goes, "Do you have the Ally McBeal Boston Public crossover <laughs> <laughs> set?" <laughs> Side story, and not to hog the show, but you know, I went to saw this at the Alamo Draft House, and what they had beforehand, you know, they do all these like um, uh, random videos leading into it, and one of them was like Marvel's great collaborations, and it was just random collaborations that have happened. Um, and one of them was like the, the Ninja Turtles live action with the Power Rangers. God, there was something else that'll, yeah, there's something else that will hit me that was like super funny too. Um, ah, I'm spacing out on it. That's the whiskey kicking in. But um, yeah, it was, it, it's, it's, it's that moment when you can like accept that that's happening, you know, because Ragnarok really changed the script on a, like what we expect out of Thor. Um, let's, let, let, let's move on now. Um, the biggest cheer I want to say that I saw in the theater was actually like when we got to Wakanda for the first time, like that, the place blew up, blew up. And I'm going to say even today, like, I, you know how, like you go opening weekend, it's a different energy today. I went to a 1230. It was close to sold out. It wasn't sold out, but I'd say like 80% full, but you know, when it's like been out a week, people are like more reserved for whatever reason, or maybe it's like midday, uh, or there's no kids. I don't know. But uh, the woman next to me, once we hit Wakanda, she started like shuffling in her seat. She was so <laughs> stoked to be at Wakanda. And it's crazy, the environment they've set up there. And I'm going to be honest, my favorite character from that, which I didn't realize, like I really liked him when he was in... Um, Black Panther is the rival tribe guy. Yes. And I hate to say it, folks. I just never, I read for a little bit. I read Black Panther when Reggie Hudlin was writing it. The film director was writing it and it was great. And it was around the time that storm from the X-Men for those that might not know, guess what? They actually get married at some point. I don't know where that is yet. I don't read the comic books as much anymore, but um, 
I love that guy's character and I kind of would love to see them. And I doubt this would ever happen, but if they did a movie with him or like an agents of shield type spinoff, but something tells me it would just be him coming to the aid of black Panther. Well, now that black Panther's dead, you don't know what's happening in the next movie. Well, let's talk about that. Now that you brought it. We're going to jump all over the place. Okay. So let, let's break this apart into two, two things. Right. Two, I think there's two ways to approach this. Let's talk about real deaths. So there's people before okay. Thanos snaps his fingers, right? So if we count them off, we have Gamora, we have Loki. The interesting thing, that person that disappears, Hemdale, right? The interesting person that's not even mentioned is Valkyrie, right? Because if I remember correctly, she went on that ship, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, so, she was with them. Yeah, so like Valkyrie's not mentioned at all. Um, what other real deaths am I, am I forgetting? Because there's another one in there. Well, right before right before he gets the the the, the soul stone like yeah. uh scarlet witch kills vision yes that was it vision now if we want to think like who might come back for the next one do we think any of those are coming back and and if if one of them you do is do, which one do you think of, of like we're, we're going to call this as real deaths and thanos death <laughs> i think Gamora's iffy like, I think the ones at the beginning are dead, dead. Gamora, I'm not sure about. That one, like, I've read some ideas that make sense to me. And the whole, I could see her not being dead, dead. What was one of those ideas? Well, that she's in the stone. Like, when they show the thing at the end, and it's sort of orange-tinted, <laughs> and he's talking to the child version of her. And that would also make sense to me that there was some kind of exchange going on and that she's actually in the stone, not actually dead. And something could be done with the stone later that sets her free, you know? So I, that, that kind of makes sense to me and wouldn't feel like a huge cheat, but I kind of feel like the ones from the beginning to me would feel more like a cheat if they're not dead. I just don't think Loki's dead. He's never dead. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of want him to be just because he never is. I mean, it would be nice because I don't need to see him in another movie, but it, his hair is so gross, I can't look at it. But I don't know. <laughs> I bet he's going to come so, back. It's, it look, his, he looks like he's dipped his head in paint, like brown paint, and then sort of like styled it appropriately. <laughs> it's really gross. Okay, wait. <laughs> All I can Glenn, look at Glenn, do you think the same thing, Glenn, about his hair? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm envious of his hair. I hit a certain age and my hair just grows straight up Glenn, like Fido It's just... I'm envious of your hair, Glenn. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All due respect, sir. I'm just going to throw this out there. I love Loki. Like, I loved him more than anything. Like, I have the hots for Loki. Just throwing it out there right now. Um, but I do, I do think he's dead because of the way he died. Yeah. Because it was so unexpected. Loki is the trickster, and this was the first time in any of the Marvel films that it felt like his intentions were pure, and he was actually doing it to save Asgard. Because he actually finally mm. felt like he was Thor's brother, and he was the protector of these people. So as sad as it makes me that I will not be able to see that beautiful, beautiful, greasy hair on screen anymore... <laughs> and not be able to lust after Loki, um, I do think he actually is dead, but he's probably one of the only ones. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree. I feel like with Loki, A, clearly a lot of these folks are in other massive franchises, right? So if we go outside sure. the scope of the story, there's also logistics, right? So Zoe Saldana, like, 
it just happens to be in the midst of three back-to-back Avatar movies. And I think there's work talk about the next Star Trek movies starting to kick in. But I do think I, I, I get I was thinking about that Soul Stone thing and the sacrifice and maybe there's a way to get out of that. Yeah. Loki, I feel like out of all the movies that he's come back and forth in and is he being good and is he going to be bad? This was the first one where you're clearly by the end of Ragnarok and then into this one, like, all right, he's got his thing together. So I felt like his story arc is done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there might be a way that like there's a cameo, you know, they could go back in history and talk about something. But I think like that one is for sure. And I, I would say with Idris Elba with, as Hemdale, like I feel like, again, he's a big enough star now where this role probably means a lot to him. But in terms of like the scheduling logistics of trying to fit these things in, I got to be like, all right, that makes sense. The only thing I'll say about his death was he's Thor's best friend, but he gets Hulk out <laughs> like when he does that last little like, right. I'm going to get somebody out of here real quick. Hulk, you, I choose, you know, Pikachu, I choose you, Hulk. Sorry, buddy, Thor, <laughs> you know. Um, anybody else have thoughts on, on, on quote-unquote real deaths versus uh, finger snap deaths? Anyone I did keep back? thinking, I did keep thinking, I do have to admit, I kept thinking to myself, if Joss Whedon had written and directed this, I would have thought a lot more of them were dead for real. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. true. He likes that's to true. hurt us. He likes to hurt us. And I, so I, I think I would have felt it a lot harder if I had known he was behind it because I would have thought he was more kind of like, yeah, they're really dead. They're not coming back. But I do, I think all the ones after Hello? the snap. Oh, go ahead. Oh, no, keep going. I was just going to say, I think the ones before the snap are probably real deaths with Gamora being iffy. And after, I think, I mean, my thing is, I kind of felt like as soon as Doctor Strange save Tony Stark in exchange for the stone when he had explicitly said he wasn't going to do that. And it happened after he had seen all the possibilities and only one way to beat him. Then everything after that was suspect to me because from that point on, he knew something we didn't know. And he knew some things that had to happen in order to win in the end. And so as soon as, as soon as he made that trade and saved Tony, I was just like, all right, the, the whatever happens after this is kind of suspect as far as the end game. I think my feeling is that the deaths, most of the deaths after the snap will somehow be undone. But I think in the next movie, there will be like serious, real big final deaths. I have a theory on that, but I'd like to hear, Glenn, what, what are you thinking on that before I hop on my theory? It's actually not my my theory uh, a buddy of mine is a writer and he was he writes about comics and he writes comics but he was saying that you know he was complaining about the new yorker uh article the review and that that person that wrote that had sort of uh had negative things to say about the movie and he's like well if you're not a comic book reader if you've never grown up with it and you don't know what the what the tropes are then you kind of you're you're talking from a place of 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 a lack of information. And so he's, he went on to say that if, if you were during the death of Superman, if you thought that Superman was going to stay dead, then you don't know how comics work <laughs> or when, when Kirk dies in, um, was it Wrath of Khan? Like there's the, they, they will bring people back or, and, um, Oh, sorry. It was Leonard Nimoy. It was, uh, yeah. Spock. Start into search for Spock. 
All right. So, but when major characters die in serialized stories, there's every intention to bring them back. But when you bring them back, you have to balance the books. And that's when the cost comes in. So we know that there's going to be a second, you know, to, to talk about the, what the realities might be outside of the narrative. Like we know that they're coming back for another thing. You know that these characters are going to be coming back, but the cost is going to come after in the second uh, Avengers movie. And I, I mean, we kind of all know what those, what those guys, who's going to go, whose contracts are up, who's getting a little long in the tooth to be playing these things. They're all going to pull a Logan and, and being like, all right, I'm out. And, and it's going it, to, that's going to be worse than, than this one. It is. It's interesting how that how how that we know so much of the business stuff yeah. and that it really how it affects our watching movies now. You know, because mm-hmm. it's like as soon as I mean, even saying that before, as soon as they kill Black Panther, you're like, that's bullshit. Like that's the right. biggest movie they've ever had, and we know they're doing another one. He's not dead, and in a way, you know, while we enjoy reading all that stuff, it also really affects how you experience the movies if you let yourself mm-hmm. be aware of that stuff and take that knowledge in with you to the theater. Right. And here's what I've been thinking about this too. These are billion dollar industries. People are making gigantic careers off of them. Yeah. And we, we grew up with them and we're, we're, we absolutely love that this, this particular story is being brought to the screen successfully. But at a certain point, I'm, I look around the theater, I look at the people that are waiting online, and they're little kids. They don't know any of this mm. stuff. They don't care about Chris Evans's contract yeah. and that he extended <laughs> it past the four that he signed on for originally. So when, when Peter goes, I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm scared. I don't want to go. Like, those kids are crying, and I feel bad yeah. for them. I'm, I'm, it's killing me. And these kids have no idea. <laughs> and, uh, and that's who it's for. So yeah, at a certain point, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to buy the ticket and take the ride and know what I know, but try and try and go in with the, as little of that information as possible. But then I come on here and I talk about it. I, I want to hop on that for a second. Cause Glenn and I were messaging a little bit back and forth about, you know, what we thought about Avengers. And if you look at his Instagram page and how it suddenly got flooded with Peter Parker, Spider-Man pictures, <laughs> that, cause he was so hurt by Spider-Man going and I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Like it hit me when it happened the first time. But Glenn, I thought of you today when I was <laughs> watching it again. Tom Holland. Like, here's the thing, too. You know, admittedly, some of us will have had a deeper history with the characters. Now, I was never even a huge Avengers. Almost anybody in these movies, I was never like a huge follower. I was an X Men mutant guy, and. But, you know, I'd go through phases of when the books got good. You heard that Hulk got really good and you would hop on it for a little while and then you would, you know, hop on Iron Man for a little while. Um, my theory on that is, you know, what I didn't realize on the first one as openly as I did on the second screening was it really is like, say, OG Avengers who were remaining. So, and and we know, and I hate to say it, even my 11-year-old daughter, Sadie, knows that their contracts are up. But I don't even know how she hears about where she picks that up. But she knows that contracts are expiring. So there's going to have to be some sort of rally and swap, you know, to get them back. I mean, clearly we know Guardians of the Galaxy. Like the weird thing is on this industry side of it, when you're aware of it, is like they publicly announce it. It's not like a secret that's gotten out. They're like, Guardians of the Galaxy start shooting a little bit. Well, almost all of the Guardians, I think all of them minus Rocket are gone. Rabbit, you mean? Rabbit? Yeah, rabbit. <laughs> Spoiler alert, all of them fucking die in this movie, basically, right. in one way or another. Um, 
so they clearly they have to set something up. But what, what's amazing about it is like we can know all of that shit. And, with the, and it's a proof of how good they do these movies, how well they do them. They still tug on your heartstrings with them. You know, like, and that's like the skill. Cause even in comic books, like, like Glenn said, like when Superman dies, there's just no way he's going to die. He's going to be dead forever. Like they, they have to come back. Everyone eventually comes back. And it's how well you tell the story in between and how tell, how, how well you tell the story coming in. And the missed thing on this movie is, or, or that maybe people don't appreciate is just how well, they tell the big story. It's not just the patience aspect of it or that, you know, they're, they're not trying to do Justice League in like one and a half movies. It's, they do them all so fucking well and you'll have your favorite. But like, I think most people would say that Iron Man 2 might be the weak link. There's a lot of great stuff in Iron Man 2. Like, I actually don't think that's the worst one. Um, but even the quote unquote worst Marvel movie is better than almost anything anybody's ever put out. And the thing I noticed today is that I know that there's certain scenes that are inspired by comic books, but the directors, and I don't just mean the Russo, uh, the Russo brothers, I mean like all of the directors, they're creating these images that are like right out of a panel without having to worry about like uh, Zack Snyder trying to completely recreate a panel. Or even Sin City, which I love the first one. I, I fell out of the second one. I love those books dearly and I love the first Sin City movie. But, and I appreciate how they tried to match frames but the fact that they've just created this world where they, the world is the frame now, like the believability in that is insane. Uh, so when we start nitpicking things, I mean, I don't think any of us are crossing any weird lines with that. But when people start getting real dark and negative on stuff, I'm like, do you remember, like, have you seen the Corman Fantastic Four movie? <laughs> like, like, those were the things we had to live with, right? I mean, I have to admit, I was getting a little nervous. I, I wasn't as... I, I was I was totally excited to see this movie. Honestly, like the first preview, I was still really excited. And then I started getting a little bit nervous about it personally, because my thing is I've always appreciated the lightness of the of the Marvel movies. Like obviously they have big serious stuff and all that, but they have a lightness to them that I really appreciate, which I feel like the DC movies have lost. You know, I feel like for me, I, in my head, I call it the Nolanification of the movies where they've just gotten dark. And sometimes to me, it feels almost dark for the sake of being dark. And I don't, I don't like that. And some of the later previews, I kind of, I was getting that feeling from the previews. Like it was a darker Avengers movie. It was not looking as fun to me. And I was not that psyched to go see it. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would you know, because it did have so many, it balanced the different tones, like you were saying before, so much better than I was expecting it to, or so much more than I had even thought about it doing, you know, because it had seemed, the tone had seemed more sort of consistent through the trailers. And the movie, I felt like for me, came through a lot more than I expected it to, and I enjoyed it a lot more than I was a little worried that I might, based on the trailers. And I know. Clearly, clearly just what you were saying made me think of that because I was starting to get worried about it and thinking, oh, I'm not going to like it. I what, what have they done? Blah, blah, blah. And then it still was just like awesome. You know, it, it goes to how they blend it. They have the dark like if you look at Civil War and or, or even Winter Soldier, they're dark thrillers. Like there really is like anything revolving Bucky's like really dark. But they've managed since they have that edge and they can add emotional weight to it. But then they have like Ragnarok and Peter Parker, like 
you don't know where it's going to take you. It's pretty amazing. I'll say like, you know, if I look back at like favorite movie, favorite scenes that have happened through all of those Marvel movies over the last 10 years. And it's that for, for me, the, the big standout that was like, oh my gosh, this is really happening was in Avengers 1 when Iron Man, Cap, and Thor are fighting for the first time, like in the woods, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I'm like, I can't believe how awesome this is, how balanced it is, you know, in terms of their abilities. So it's not like one person's just totally annihilating and being like, this is actually happening in a movie theater now. Like, I'm, I'm very grateful that as a NYU film major, I did not lose... I didn't become such a film snob where I can't appreciate that. And in this one, they did such a good job of that. Like even when like, you know, Star-Lord and the, and, and, the, and the Guardians are fighting, you know, Iron Man and Doctor Strange and them for the first time in Spider-Man. Like everyone sort of holds their own and they do this really great job of it. So they, they have equal characters that have their skills and weaknesses. And then they have these tones that they can really play through. Um, let's switch the mode a little bit. What's one of your favorite scenes or moments in the movie? Jen, kick that one off. Um, again, like two favorite moments in the movie. One was the very beginning because it was such an amazing connection between those two characters that you don't normally see, right? So it caught me off guard, Loki. Like for me, that was a moment where it was genuine. The characters, you were expecting one thing but got something else and it was really rewarding in what you got. Um, even though he died. And then it it was at the end with Spider-Man. Because like me, I've read Infinity Gauntlet. I love the Marvel Universe. Um, I knew going in what was going to happen and that a ton of people were going to die because that's what happens. Um, but that moment when he looks at Iron Man and says like, I don't feel so well, Mr. St- uh, like Mr. Stark. Like, that was actually, I read, it was an improv moment, so it wasn't scripted. Act, Tom Holland actually came up with that himself. Not gonna lie, I shed a tear. Like, I got choked up on that, knowing that Spider-Man's fine. Like, I knew that he has another film mm-hmm. coming out, but just the genuine being, getting lost in that and seeing the connection between a character, Tony Stark, who is essentially, gets called, is a douchebag, right? In every film he's in and doesn't really care about anyone. You saw that honest connection that he does care about this kid and that pain was real and so for me those were the two moments that they they hit home like they were definitely like ow okay i know it's fine but ouch so that that's where i was at hey can we all agree that tom holland's the best spider-man of the feature films like oh my gosh man (laughs) that kid (laughs) nails it and that's nothing against that's nothing against toby mcguire andrew garfield but my he is perfect when he's going when he, when they're fighting thanos and he's going like magic 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 kick <laughs> like my gosh like that's perfect <laughs> like, amazing emily favorite favorite scene from the movie or favorite moment of the movie um i think well one thing about this movie is that it was continuing from thor ragnarok i've never liked thor and i hated the first thor movie and i'm always like great thor's here and by the end of this movie, i can't help it i mean he's very beautiful that's fine um i like his new haircut way better but it's all about the hair with me apparently and what i loved about this movie was that he had like an actual character arc and was trying to accomplish something and he also you know, he had the characters that I was the least interested in paying attention to because he, he had, you know, Rocket and Groot with him. And I find Groot to be very boring most of the time, especially teenage angsty Groot. It's just not for me. But the <laughs> fact that I 
I cared during that entire segment. And then, you know, Thor's, you know, trying to, he's going through a lot of stuff right now and like dealing with the fact like his, his kingdom is lost and he's got no family left and he's still trying to, you know, do this for the sake of the universe. I just really appreciate it. It was like a character arc I didn't expect him to ever get to. And so I, I actually really liked that section of the movie, even though on paper that would have been the section I would, you know, be going to get a refill of popcorn. <laughs> Glenn. Um, my favorite, I don't know. I don't, I mean, obviously the, the Spider-Man stuff, uh, the, I mean, they, they, they hammered it home pretty, pretty hard with the, you know, they, they open on, 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 uh, Tony and Pepper talking about, Oh, I'm, I'm dreaming that we're having a baby and he wants to be a father and he, he's a surrogate father to, to, um, to, to Pete all through homecoming. And then he watches them die at the end is, is, you know, doubly uh, uh, heartbreaking, especially with uh, Tom Holland's performance. But uh, um, one of the things I realized after was that if you just follow that the narrative from Ragnarok, you know, uh, at the end when he has a flashback of like, you will, to, to Odin, and he's saying, Asgard isn't a place, it is the people. And then they fly off on, on the, the statesman and they're in space and, and that's it. And they, they hey, oh, we're, we're, we're alive. And then you jump a half hour later. Like it seems yeah. like it just takes off. Like it happens immediately. So all of their, all of their trials, tribulations, victories, and, and brief celebration is just ripped away from them in the span of... Uh, a couple of movies from the end to the beginning of, and that's sort of, you know, just tragic in and of itself. And of course, you know, I mean, there's people around Valkyrie is going to be floating around somewhere survive that, that explosion. And she's, she's just a, much, as much of a demigod as he is. So yeah, that's true. Uh, she's floating around somewhere and I hope she shows up in, in the, the sequel. Um, but okay. So one of the things that made me laugh was the arc that, uh, strange and wong was having at the very beginning (laughs) and they're just talking about money because he has a house in new york city and they're still arguing about money because new york is really really expensive (laughs) yeah i wonder if that's considered rent stabilized when it's (laughs) (laughs) is that a nitra house um with you know rent controlled and all that stuff but yeah that was a funny thing that's like a it's Doctor Strange was a, a really great movie uh, on a lot of levels. And I think, again, I'm always impressed when they take a, a somewhat bizarro character, right? Like, because we're not talking about people are forgetting now that even Iron Man, though he was like pop culture recognizable, wasn't like a big character in a weird yeah. way, right? I and mean, then Doctor Strange is so far removed if you're not into comic books from that, that they pulled that off. And to maintain that relationship and build upon it with very little dialogue, like it's just these little quick sort of throwaway scenes that actually add emotional character depth. It's pretty amazing. Um, Lisa, favorite moment, favorite scene? This is just such a stupid thing, but it just caught me so off guard and it was so perfect that it's just the thing I keep thinking about that cracked me up when... um, when Thor and the folksies, I wait, right? Groot was with Thor, right? Yeah. yeah. When they show up in Wakanda <laughs> and Groot's like, I am Groot. And Captain America's like, I am Steve Rogers. Because <laughs> 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 it was so like, of course he'd be polite and want to <laughs> and 
introduce himself back and not, like, you know, and it was really funny how, again, you have this character that all he ever says is, I am Groot. And you have the whole thing with Thor having studied the Groot <laughs> language, like, and taking that totally seriously. And then you have Captain America, like, well, I am Steve Rogers, you know? And it just, there was just something about that that just cracked me up. Like, that was one of my favorite just singular moments in it. Um, I also really just liked that I was sort of challenged by Thanos a little bit, you know, like sort of like the villain in Black Panther, like yeah. he's got some points to make, you know, and, you know, sure, we don't want to see half of the world go poof, but he's, he's got some points to make, you know, and he wasn't just like out for unfettered power or anything like that like there's some part of him that really believes he's doing the right thing for the betterment of the world and you know i like when you can't just wholeheartedly root against a bad guy or bad guy you know like i thought there was it was much more interesting than it could have been the depth they brought to that character was absolutely the biggest surprise of the movie to me and I love Josh Brolin. Like it wasn't, I was never doubting a visual effects thing or, uh, but, but in terms of like, okay, this guy they've slowly been teasing for so long. I mean, and it's so long now, the depth that they, they got and how they, they added to that, you know, you, you never got a sense of anything good being out of that relationship with Gamora or Nebula um, from his side of it, but to get his perspective on it. And when he starts saying how, her home planet is so much better off now. You are a little bit like, holy shit. Yeah. You know, like you get it. And then you really, like, you know, the weight when he has to make that decision with the uh, Soul Stone. Although admittedly, I think everybody kind of knows what's about to happen there, except for her. Like, right. it's kind of <laughs> like, come on now. Like, you're laughing, but we know what's about to happen. Uh, you know, you really felt for it. And that moment when... Um, you know, she, he sees little Gamora again at the end. You did it. What did it cost? But the last scene of the movie, when he sits down and just smiles, like mm -hmm. job is done, sort of. So I'm going to say my, my, my favorite scene is, it's hard to pick a single scene. But one of the things that I think of all of the movies, if I think what's been cool that I've seen, right? Anytime they've had Thor with his hammer or Thor using a, a power, like the first time, Thor's swinging that hammer and can use it to fly or it lets go. And, like that to me is just something visually I never thought I'd see so perfectly done in a movie. And in Ragnarok in particular, that beginning scene with the hammer uh, is so fucking cool. But then at the end when they're like, you are the hammer, you know what I mean? Like you have the power, like Thor just becomes such a badass. So I agree when Thor lands in Ragnar and Wakanda, it's just a powerful moment of that. A, it's just, he's such a badass now. And that reunion moment. But leading into that, when they're trying to put the hammer together, you know, his new, uh, what do they call it? Stormbreaker, you know, his new axe together. Mm -hmm. And Groot finally, because Groot is kind of like, it's a couple of cute moments, but he's actually, if I, if, if I would find something that I did not love about the movie, Groot is a throwaway in this, that I almost feel bad for Vin Diesel, that whatever bit of mocap he had to do for this. It's like, Vin deserved more. Finn, I got your back. You deserve more. Um, but when he comes up and puts that hammer together and then you're like, you have this Peter, giant Peter Dinklage for from melted from a star 
And was that the best casting or what? My gosh, with a rude arm (laughs) handle, though, I'm like, this thing is badass. It's so much better than, you know, Mjolnir, Meow Meow. Um, So I think I love that part, and that that stood out to me a lot. And War Machine, who I just loved when, like, he was just flying above, like, napalming those, Mm. like, alien dog guys coming at him. I thought that was real cool because that's when, like, yeah, that's what your suit is actually made for. Like, this is where your suit is designed for, not, like, just fighting Iron Man or uh, Falcon. Uh, What was – so I just kind of named my my least favorite thing, and I, I would say, like, Groot is underutilized up until that moment. Um, I'll also say this. This is a weird one. Sidetrack, sidetrack, sidetrack. So in the in the commercials, you saw a lot of Groot running around with a gun. And even my daughter said, that's kind of weird. It's a kid running around a gl- with a gun, especially after Parkland. I'm like, but it's like a tree kid in a battle <laughs> circumstance. Like, like, see. But there were none. Do we think that that was removed post or do we think that the gun was uh-huh. just added as part of the trailer? Any thoughts on that? I, they, it, they had it a- did catch me. They had a bunch of things like Hulk. There's that that one hero shot where they're all running in Wakanda. And there's Hulk. There's yeah. uh, War Machine and and Falcon. And that that never showed up. Hulk never Hulk got anywhere. So yeah, there was a bunch of stuff that showed up in the trailers that they they decided. There's there's uh, screen grabs you can see from the trailers where some of the stones are missing that don't match up to the to the narrative of the the finished movie. Do, do we think though that they removed the gun scene with Groot? Uh, post Parkland, like kind of like uh, Spielberg going back with ET and replacing the guns with flashlights. No, I, I think they probably just made a lot of random things to like get people excited that they didn't actually intend to put into the movie. Probably just to throw people off the scent of what was actually going to be happening. Because if if I had thought once I saw Groot appear on screen that that was what was going to happen, I was I would have been really confused as to how they were going to get to there based on how they were doing the characterization. Because he was basically just there to play video games and be sullen. And I wouldn't have expected him to pick up a gun and go running around. because it, it wouldn't make sense character-wise. So I, I feel like they were just probably spitballing some stuff to throw in the trailer to get, get people excited. <laughs> the thing with Groot, too, is let's face like as someone that grew up in the generation of that video game he's playing, that game fucking sucks. And that's not the <laughs> game that kids would play. I don't know anybody that would play that game as much as Groot played that game. Like even when it was brand new cutting edge, nobody walked around with that game that much. I think they're just trying to be cute. It's trying to be cute, but give the, give him a fucking Tetris. Like then I could buy that, but that specific game it's like check out. It's like walking around with a pong unit or a Vectrex. It doesn't work out that way. <laughs> did you guys? Did you guys see what Sean Gunn said about Groot's last word? No, no. When he died. So when when Groot yep. disappeared, there were some people who were saying what was they couldn't hear. What was his act? What was the last thing he said? Because it wasn't "I am Groot." He said "Dad," like as he was oh. dying to, to Rocket. He said "Dad." Who says a lot of father stuff in it? Yeah. Um, okay. So, oh, good. I was like, I don't know if I buy that completely because Groot doesn't speak anything besides "I am Groot." So, like, I get that that's super sweet and all, but it almost feels like who's he talking to, Rocket or to? Well, that's what that's that's what I read that he was that it was that that was his father figure. And he did say, "We are Groot" in the first Guardians. He's got depth. 
<laughs> like Vin Diesel. That's when Vin Diesel gets Stop his credit. Stop defending Vin Diesel. <laughs> Vin Diesel needs no defending. And yet you can <laughs> Emily, you know my thoughts on Vin Diesel. I absolutely do. I was literally defending his movies the other day to somebody. I can't remember who I was talking about. All He's right. in a lot of great movies. I do the same thing with 90s Nick Cage movies. It's all right. We all have our thing. <laughs> There's a lot of great Nick Cage movies. I agree with you. And there's a few perfect examples. That everybody <laughs> says, like, Nick Cage sucks. Just go Raising Arizona, and it shuts him down. Yeah. Shuts him down. <laughs> True. Anyway. I'll give you that. Uh, so, Jen, least favorite moment, if there was one. I'm not trying oh, to I troll the movie. Totally had one. Um, Captain America's entrance. Like, just, I know everybody loves Captain America. I think he's all right. Like, he's fine. Um, but I'll say, like, the, he had, like, the swelling of the music and, like, the big reveal. And, like, listen, I've got Vision. I've got Scarlet Witch. I've got, like, Doctor Strange. I have got all kinds of other people in this film that are way more powerful than Captain America. And the fact that they presented him as some kind of savior, I was just like, yeah, I don't care. Move it along. He's just super strong. Whatever. He's a symbol of the whole thing, Jan. You have no heart. <laughs> Well, you know what? I don't agree. I think that they are a, a, a team and there is not one leader. <laughs> Did and you realize he was the leader one. of Team Cap? Like, literally, right. it was well, Team Cap. Well, he's going <laughs> to die in the next film anyway. So, you know what? I'm not getting too attached. You know what I noticed that I didn't notice the first time out? It's like, I thought he was wearing, like, a new, like, uh, more monotone suit. It's nah. actually his banged up suit from Civil War, like because he's because they are renegade and they didn't do it. I thought that was a nice touch. I didn't notice that the first time, but it's got like holes and shit in it where you could see like the the Under Armour sticking through. His Under Armour. Did you see what the Under Armour? What the Under Armour is? It's the chainmail. Oh no shit! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. From the from the original sort of design, yeah. Emily, least favorite moment, other than Loki's hair. Oh, so gross. Um, to be honest, I really thought that like Bucky was completely a waste of time and screen time. Like he, I don't know. I felt like they were trying to make this big deal. Like Bucky's okay and he's back in it and hooray! He's been hiding out in Wakanda. I'm like great, he has a new arm and he does. I don't think he speaks more than like three lines in the entire movie. I was like, what? I I I'm, I don't care. I just felt, I felt like if they were going to make it such a big deal that like he was okay and he was on the, the side of good and they were all going to band together, they should have given him more to do. I, I, I felt bad for him. He didn't have anything to do. Yeah, he was sort of like a grunt on it and, and another guy to throw in rockets. Yeah. Ever-growing obsession with prosthetic limbs, which I love, <laughs> which is just such an odd little thing to make a thing out of. But <laughs> totally pays off. I'm going to get that arm. Glenn, <laughs> potential uh, least favorite moment of the movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, going off of Emily's, uh, the um, just Wakanda, like it was just a place that they, they were gonna that that Black Panther and they lived. But that uh, that Black Panther movie was so rich. That whole city was so vibrant. The the culture was so um, well well established that they, for them to just fly in and be like, "Hey, what's up? I wish I had a Starbucks." Like, it was just sort of, it could have been anywhere. It also could have just been anywhere where there wasn't a densely populated area. If they know that there's trouble coming, if they know that the soul stone's there, bring them somewhere where people aren't potentially going to die or they're going to lose their homes. Um, so that, that that's that's basically it. Because I, I really love Black Panther. It's it's my 
top one or two. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I just wish there were more there. I wish Bucky had a lot to, a lot more to do. There was so much, um, so much buildup after civil war, you know, yeah. during that after credit sequence, they showed Wakanda and you know that he's there. You thought, and, and at the end of black Panther, that credit sequence, you know, he comes out and they call him white wolf. And there's all that history with the comics about that character. And they, they just never, they, they never lock him into anything more. They never build any more, um, uh, backstory to, to that. So it just felt, uh, like a wasted opportunity. My, 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 Thinking on that is, I think we even, I noticed even for myself with Captain America, there wasn't even a lot, like I actually loved his intro. Um, I'm not saying you're wrong, Jen, I'm just saying I felt differently. Um, there wasn't even a lot of actual Captain America in this. Yeah. And Bucky is basically the third big player in Civil War. And, you know, for comic book fans, a potential spoiler alert, you know, we know he becomes the new Captain America. So I wonder if his underutilization in this one is because there's going to be like a maximum output on the next one, because he does ultimately take over. <laughs> Although the storyline has to be completely different. Yeah. Completely different. Cause in the comic books, Captain America is killed by crossbones. Who's played by what Frank Grillo who dies in the beginning mm-hmm. of civil war working for mm-hmm. the red skulls daughter, which is not a thing in this universe, at least not, not now. Um, See, guys, I really did re- read comic books before I became a trainer. I stopped when I couldn't fucking afford them. But I was like a 50, 50 <laughs> no, bucks a no month. Kidding. I was a 50 bucks a month habit kind of guy. Um, Lisa, least favorite moment? Uh, besides there being no Paul Rudd and Ant-Man, I would have to say I thought – like I thought the special effects of Thanos were great and he looked great, but I thought his like henchmen, his little, I, I don't know what their name is. The ones who went out and did his things for him. I think they're known as the children of Thanos in the latest version of the comic book. I okay. think I could be I wrong on that. They look terrible. Oh, I really? Just, I found it distracting. Every time they were on screen, they looked like they were, they just looked really weird to me. And I don't know if they were just supposed to look weird, but they looked weird to me and it was very distracting. I, it felt like they were just like poorly done. I I think we're hit. We've hit a hard point where like, if we look back at, I mean, I hate to mention his name, Jar Jar Binks, the first Hulk movie, the Ang Lee Hulk movie and um, you know, Gollum. And you look at the progression that they've gone from there. And then you look at where like video game cutscenes are right now. I think it's really hard, even when the lighting and the atmospherics and the textures and all that stuff are, are lining up. I think it's hard to make things look super real when they get to certain certain degrees. Just like Mantis, how some of that stuff I believe is like you know compositing manipulation and not even CG. Glenn, do you know if I'm I right on that? Are they mani- manipulating eye sockets and stuff? Like I know they've done some of that on the Star Trek movies. Where they're literally like yeah. morphing it as opposed to like actually compositing over. Yeah, I think you know? so. Yeah, she's on set with the, the makeup and everything. Yeah, they augment. Um, you know, one of the things I think who's, who mentioned Cap's intro as a thing. Is that you, Jen? Yeah. The one thing I noticed is in the trailer and in the theater the first time it says is that moment when when and Chala is like get this man a shield, and then he gets these kind of weak ass forearm shields that don't do much but they like to make this big deal of it in the scene a couple times there's like ching ching and these two like 
you know, pointy things come out of it, but it's not like it's like a blaster. It makes the shields much bigger. It's kind of like, like a nerf dart wants to come out of the thing versus being some super cool thing where he could throw it and make some real magic happen. That was, that was something that was a little underwhelming for me. That moment played so much better in the trailer than it did in the movie. Like it felt like such a big moment in the trailer. And when it happened in the movie, it was almost like, I think it depends on how the group feels that the first time I saw it, the group went nuts over it. Oh, really? Everyone was way reserved today. Uh, but again, I think it was just, it was 1230 on a work day. Everybody was just like, we're either unemployed and winging it or just happy to be out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so let's, um, let, let, let's start to wrap this up. These things go so fast. Let's, and there's so much we could talk about this movie. What do we think about, you know, the post credit scene? Um, and, and did anybody not even realize who they were referencing to? Because this was probably the biggest stretch of all of the end movie scenes. Um, so when when I was watching it this morning and that flashed up, people audibly said out loud what was going on. and went, oh yeah, that is what is happening. So then <laughs> I, I knew what the connection was. But for a moment I was like, what is that supposed to be? Is is that Captain America? That's not Captain America. That's not that's not quite, quite it. I don't know. Oh wait, it's it's Miss Marvel. <laughs> Anybody else? Um, I knew I knew who it was, but I want to point out that this is the first time a, a comic book universe is setting up a woman to save the universe, and I think that is phenomenal. The fact that they went with Miss Marvel because there are two like going back to comics, there are two characters in the MCU that can pretty much do anything. One of them is Scarlet Witch, the other one is Miss Marvel, and the fact that they're bringing both of them together in the universe, like, it for me, it was a very exciting moment, and like, my inner feminist freaked out, was like, yes, we're finally getting our moment in comic books! And so I was very excited. Anybody else? That was the first one that I had to take a moment and think about. Like I didn't yeah. recognize it on the star oh, until, really? like, until the line came through and the color switch. I oh, she's just not somebody that I really followed. Uh, I'm excited to see <laughs> Brie Larson do it. I love Brie Larson from um, Kong Skull Island, so uh, I'm, I'm stoked for it. And I was a little bit like, "What's this Skytel pager he's using?" But then I forgot that the. <laughs> The Marvel movie they're making, the Captain Marvel movie they're making, is takes place in the 90s. So it makes mm-hmm. total sense going back that clearly we'll see her give Nick Fury some sort of, like, you know, hyped up pre-Apple Skytel, Space Skytel. <laughs> space Tell? Space Tell? It's a space beeper. Space beeper. Yeah. So, that, you know, you know when your pizza or your weeds come up. um hey before we go let's talk this last thing who saw the ant-man and the wasp trailer that came out oddly enough didn't play before the movie either time i had i saw it on the internet um what are we thinking on that one jen kick it um i i generally enjoy ant-man um so i'm super excited to see ant-man and the wasp like i it was one of those where I wanted to see the extension and more of their story. So I'm I'm all for it. I'm down. Lisa. All thumbs up. <laughs> totally Emily. into it. Uh, yeah, I actually was not super into Ant-Man. I wanted to like it. I know, I sound terrible. Hair is so benign. 
No, I, I like Paul Rudd a lot. I my biggest problem with that movie is I felt like that the uh, the branding of the sponsorship of everything in the background was super distracting. So while I did like the movie, I felt like it was a it was like a commercial to sell toys and and things the whole time. So and ice I cream. The movie was, and ice cream. So I thought that that movie was was okay, but I didn't love it as much as I wanted to. So this next one I was like, eh, I might see it, but you know, my history of missing on movies, you know, I may not. I may not bother. Uh, listeners, I, I hope you enjoyed Emily's last time on the Films of Fury podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Glenn, what'd you think, Glenn? Oh, I, I, I loved it. I, I like the I like the first Ant Man movie, and I'm looking forward to, to seeing these two uh, mix it up. And uh, it just it looked like a lot of fun. Like, and especially, I think I posted about it. It's, it, it's like intentional counter programming to to everything that happened with the uh, infinity war and that they didn't front load this movie the avengers movie with it and yeah. just let it come out after it so everybody could be like oh, okay now we have something else to look forward to and not, not have to think about peter crying no <laughs> yeah it's it's i love the trailer and i mean i just love the the again where this one's going in its own direction and yeah. Man, when when they're with Lawrence Fishburne at the end talking about Goliath, <laughs> not only is it just like you know, obviously the joke is very funny, but the fact that they're referencing all of these older superhero characters as if they've all existed, like it's just again just a very easy way to establish this depth to everything that's going on. Yeah. Uh, it looks great. Uh, Paul Rudd's awesome in that character. His whole little sidekick team is amazing, and yeah. The way that we, we, we've never had visual effects in a way that, again, like whether it's Doctor Strange's powers or Thor's powers to do these miniatures where it's actually like looks like, you know, they can come in and out of it real quick without it looking like, honey, I shrunk the kids at, you know, Disney, <laughs> you know, when you're just walking around a giant foam piece of corn or some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody have any final thoughts on tonight? Uh, oh, well, really quick. The we didn't talk about uh, uh, Nebula at all. And just that, uh, that, you know, Thanos goes around, we've, he's sort of been showing up in other movies and he's a threat. He's a threat. He, but we know that he's going to kill people, but that was, that was brutal and vicious torture that it, what he was doing to her, suspending her and pulling her apart slowly. And that, I think that was the first and maybe the only time we see him actually uh, do something with it, you know, like, interact in that way as viciously um and then when she shows up during the big fight with uh spider-man dr strange and everybody and she just drives that that ship into him and kind of like gives him a little bit of reprieve like you know she's the unsung and we treated her just like everybody else nobody cares about nebula yeah i mean but it's also the that you know there's that moment when in in guardians 2 when nebula's talking to gamora mm-hmm. about how like every time you won that fight he cut something off of me yeah and you really see that switch like I, i'd almost like to see at some point the flashback you know how we got to see thanos meet gamora i'd like to see the flashback of thanos meeting nebula and how fucked up that must have been yeah yeah jan you were gonna say something it's gone Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, don't, you know what, I didn't even think about Nebula, and now I'm sitting here thinking, "Wow, that's really terrible." Like that. I will say this: I went to see this film on my birthday as part of my birthday celebration, 
And I walked out seriously bummed out because of everything that happened. In the- <laughs> <laughs> and I, had to, I had to drink my sorrows away for the MCU. That is what I did. Yeah, I know my kids were bombed, Sadie in particular. So side story, Sadie has been reading Mighty Thor for the last, uh, I guess it's almost like 25 issues. And it's weird because it's with Lady Thor. So in the comic books, Jane Foster becomes, mm. the, the Natalie Portman character becomes Thor, Lady Thor. Sadie's, Sadie's, that's the first book that Sadie has been going to the comic book shop once a month, new comic book day, or when she's with me and we go and we pick it up and it just ended. And so it ends on like, you know, we go and get it Thursday or Friday and then she fucking has to go see half her heroes die the next day. And 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 she was so bummed, bummed. but somehow she's bright enough that she's knows again, uh, you know, her, her mom's in PR. So it's probably like letting her in on some of the background secrets too. But I was like, sorry, kiddo, but you know, just hanging (laughs) to those comic books long enough. And she keeps hoping that Lady Thor will return and, you know, will will replace Thor in the movies. And I'm like, well, if it is, I don't think it's going to be Natalie Portman because apparently she did not like being part of this universe. Um, But, you know, one never knows. One never knows. Uh, Anybody else? Just as I've been rewatching or watching for the first time a whole bunch of, like, the back catalog of the Marvel movies, that I I found that I really just, I really enjoyed the, the really serious ones and then the incredibly bizarre comedy. Cause like, I really loved Thor Ragnarok and I didn't expect to. And, and it's when they try to sort of meld it. Like I did not really enjoy the Joss Whedon ones. It, and I was surprised. I expected that I would. So it's been, it was interesting to see the different tone shifts over the last like week or so. And then I felt like, as you'd said earlier, that, that this movie for infinity war, that they really merged it in a way that it, it had both of the things I really liked about the Marvel movies and sort of got rid of most of the stuff that I didn't really like. So I really enjoyed this movie for that. Interesting. So I think Avengers is still my favorite. That's the one that's just so perfect. And again, for setting the tone of what happens, but I think most people will say myself included uh, Ultron is a good movie, but there's just something that's kind of off on it and I can't really mm-hmm. pin it. And, and, and some of them I don't necessarily love right out the gate, like Iron Man three, as much as I love Shane black, like I left there wanting to see more action and the second viewing and third viewing in particular, I was like, okay, I get it now. Like I actually really learned to love that movie, but Avengers age of Ultron is one of those where I keep watching and I keep seeing sort of the same, whatever atmosphere, wherever it's, it might be a timing thing, a story thing. It might be a James Spader performance thing. I'm not quite sure um, that, or maybe it's just the stakes are too high too quickly on that one. I don't know, but yeah, I'd agree with that on the second one. The first one, I think he nailed it. The first one was so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, for me, that was also like the timing, the pacing, just being able to like create the shared space where they all got to shine. It's like such a skill unto its own. And it had those moments, like I mentioned in the forest, when they're, they're having that first fight, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Or when Thor and uh, you know Hulk are fighting for the first time. That was just so spot on. Like, I'm still uh, can't believe we're even getting to have a discussion about you know 18 marvel movies that are all linked up uh brian matashio and i on the godzilla episode that came out you know we talked about prior to this there's really nothing other like anything like it other than godzilla godzilla would have independent monster movies that would you know a rodan or a mothra or whoever varan and they would show up later 
but most of those were only maybe in continuity in the context of one or two movies. It was never like, you know, 50 years, 60 years of continuity. Whereas to go 10 years where they all actually make sense and be able to deal with like switching Hulks, like we're forgetting, you know, all about Ed Norton's Hulk. I think that's an amazing movie. Like I really loved it, but we're forgetting about him and we're forgetting about, fuck, I can't even think of his name right now. The first, um, the dude from uh, Terrence Howard. Oh, yeah, Terrence Howard, who was great as Rhodey in the first one. But man, I feel best. Terrence Howard, I am sorry. You did a really good job in that first one and you deserve better. But it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, the fact that this all exists and we can have this podcast means it's a great time to be a geek. Um, anybody have any final comments, thoughts, goodbyes? Anybody have anything they want to announce, pitch, get somebody to like uh, pay attention to? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, Step up, in, Glenn, do it <laughs> in, uh, in July or June, the weekend of June 17th, uh, I will be tabling at heroes con in North Carolina in Charlotte. So come on by and get some artwork. Nice folks. If, if this is your first episode listening to the podcast, cause somebody else's name is tagged on this better than I, uh, check out Glenn's Instagram page. You will be able to hear the link of it because it's at the end of every episode of this podcast because he does killer art for every episode of this podcast. And I say this all the time with the except, well, well with the addition now of the films of fury pod squad. And I have to like both say thank you for hopping on. And I'm sorry we haven't done more of these. We've missed a lot of cool movies, including last Jedi. Part of my soul dies thinking that we missed that one, but we will get solo. These are going to happen more often. And I mentioned this in the episode that went out today. This is uh, we're recording this on, on on Monday, May seventh. That these aren't going to be just considered spinoffs or bonus episodes. These are now officially numbered episodes of the Coach Fury podcast. Because, oh, really? Yeah, because they just it, it, it. It's what I wanted the show to be, and it became almost a little too fitnessy. I want fitness. I want geek culture. I want movies and all that shit. So all of this stuff is now numbered episodes. Don't worry, Glenn. I'm not throwing a ton of extra work on it. <laughs> but aside from the films, I was like, oh, I'm well, I'm going to say this too. So on that point, so when I did when we did the first films of Fury Stranger Things, I like I purposely didn't ask Glenn because I'm like, Glenn, it's a bonus episode. I don't want him to have to draw more stuff. So Glenn messages me the next day. And he's like, you know, next time just ask me and I'll draw you a picture. <laughs> but aside, you know, the, the the most interactive, collaborative person I deal with on this show is Glenn. And I'm really glad to have you on the show, Glenn, and to have you on more. He's an official member of the pod squad now. And it is because after every episode, after I record every episode, I send him a message and I'm like, dude, this is the dumb idea I had. And he's like, that's right. Let's do it. So, I mean, we have Godzilla collecting figures of people on the current episode one. We've had uh Godzilla opening up to a super reveal, like pulling out his a button-down shirt to reveal that he's Superman. <laughs> what was the weirdest one that I've thrown in your direction? Um, what was the weirdest one? The uh, the the Godzilla with the ballerina. That was one. <laughs> um, the one running around in sneakers. That was, yeah, that was one. the socks um, one because we had uh, oh that's it Sorry. Mike Mike Lyon from Pedestal Footwear on, and I think uh shit I just had it in my head and I just spaced out on one of oh the the the, the Lady Ultraman Ultimate Sandbag one for Amanda Thieves episode is <laughs> yeah. such a great picture but it's so bizarre unless you're in my head to know what that even is, um <laughs> anyway so 
I'm glad you're all a part of this. They're official episodes of the Coachery podcast because it just makes no sense that they're not getting numbered and being deemed something other. This is what I want the show to be. So thank the four of you for being on. Um, we will have more of these episodes. And uh, Glenn, thank you for being a part of it. I could thank you in person right now. Listeners, today's the day. Well, last whenever before this comes out, we're over 10,000 plays. And I'm very excited about that. And I don't know what my voice is going to sound like on the playback here, but I've been saying on a lot of the episodes, if you want to support the show to go to patreon.com slash coach Fury podcast, because you can make a financial donation so that I can invest in this, invest in this show. Cause it started on like nothing. Uh, it still pretty much runs on nothing, but I got to give a shout out to Victor Reyes, Julian Cardos, James Newman, and Brian McMaster for being patrons, this new nice shiny mic that I'm working on, the uh, blue Yeti mic, silver Yeti sponsorship, blue <laughs> Yeti mic. <laughs> Just kidding, it's a great mic. Uh, but that is where the money has gone. I have not bought Godzilla toys or movie tickets. Um, we, Except this is the that first... one back there, right? No, I'm just kidding. No, no, those are on my other ones, though. <laughs> but, like, literally, this is the first episode on a new microphone. Um, so I want to thank you. And if anybody else wants to show the show some love, I'm going to keep doing it anyway, so don't feel any pressure. But, like, look, if you've listened to 35 episodes, at least review the fucking thing. <laughs> <laughs> all right? Just saying. Anyway, thank you, everybody. That sounded horrible. I'm grateful for all of you that are listening. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not trying to like shame you or pressure you in anything. Um, just keep listening, right? Uh, tell a friend, share an episode, or just I don't know, download and hit play. And thank you for listening to our voices, uh, everybody. Jen, Emily, Glenn, Lisa, thank you so much for being who you are and being part of the Films of Fury Pod Squad. Uh, everybody, later until the next episode. I can't help it. I just want to bang him. I don't care what his hair looks like. That's fine. I also, I also like Roman penis. I have a thing for dirty guys. It's a thing. Well, I, I would get. Let's smell bad. Ugh. I would say going it. from Loki's greasy hair to Norman Reedus is a big jump. There's like hair, and then there's overall hygiene. Like, like dirty hair UTI, that kind of situation. Like, is that what we're talking about? Yeah, that's what's gonna happen. That's what is going to happen. Yeah. You have cranberry <laughs> juice ready. It's going to be so worth it. So <laughs> worth it. <laughs> hey, maybe they'll both be at Comic-Con this year. We could all go together. Woo! And I can try to bang both of them. I will FaceTime live from there. <laughs> I will stand next to you. And help that, you just took this to a whole new place. <laughs> I would uh, take video because I would want proof for later. <laughs> like, I did this. The UTI wouldn't be enough. <laughs> Hey, the best thing is, is I just started recording again for that bit, so we can use it in the show. <laughs> do it, do it. The Coach Fury Podcast is created, owned, and produced by Steve Coach Fury Holler for Fury Industries LLC. Music provided by the FTW. Visit the FTW.nyc for band, music, tour, and merch information. Artwork provided by Glenn Urieta. Visit glennurieta.com. That's G-L-E-N-N-U-R-I-E-T-A. Or visit him on Instagram at Glenn Urieta. Thanks, everybody. 